Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet music critic and writer Jason Green, columnist John Von Soten, and founder of global brand Aiden and Anae, Reagan Moya Jones. From processing a devastating personal tragedy to drawing back the curtain on daily life in Paris, to building a big career out of an idea that originated at a kitchen table, these authors are able to reveal the powerful universalities we all share as a result of them each getting deeply personal about their own experiences. Plus, hear why The Subway is one author's favorite place to listen to everything. Enjoy. Hi, this is Jason Green, author of Once More We Saw Stars. Once More We Saw Stars began as a journal I kept in the aftermath of my daughter Greta's death. It was a reflexive mechanism, a way to stay alive and move from moment to moment while we did everything we needed to do to make sure that her service happened and that all the other traumas compounding her death, including reporters and people following us around the city, It was simply a way for me to record those things as they happened to me. It was a very intuitive sort of reflexive strategy for coping. And that's how the words began very, very soon after the accident. And shortly, it became a way for me to talk to myself as I went through the grieving process. And then later, when my wife Stacy became pregnant with our second child, my son Harrison, it became a way for me to talk to my children And as it grew, it became very apparent to me that what I was writing was something that was going to be larger than a journal that I kept and that there was probably a book that was growing in front of me. So it was a gradual process of realization, I would say, that went from a journal to something indefinable that I wondered if anyone would ever see to a very purposeful book that I was hoping very badly I would be able to put out into the world. I was inspired by other books that made something beautiful and transcendent out of raw grief and trauma. There are many. One big touchstone for me, and I think for millions, was Paul Kalanithi's When Breath Becomes Air, which is a book about a neurosurgeon and neuroscientist, the author Paul Kalanithi, who discovers he has uncurable cancer just as he is about to finish up his residency and finally take a job. His wife is pregnant with their first child, and it is basically a document of his last year and his reckoning with what his life meant, with what life means, really. And it's one of those stories that contains such powerful universalities in it, and yet it was born from one person's terrible story. I found that beautiful and redemptive, and particularly so that his wife, Lucy Kalanithi, took that book after he died and helped finish it and became the face of it. I thought that was stunning and beautiful. So books like that, another one briefly was fiction, Grief is the Thing with Feathers by a writer named Max Porter. But it was another book that did not confront the trauma of death. In this case, a husband is widowed and he has two surviving boys to care for. It did not treat that loss head on or literally. It was extremely refracted and metaphorical and beautiful. And to me, I derived more meaning from reading that book about what my own grief 
felt like and how to express it than I did from reading many books that were directly about grief. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be draining. (laughs) It was emotionally draining, but that does not mean it was a negative experience. Getting a chance to read this book word for word was a chance to revisit this place that I'd gone in my life, and it put me both in touch closer to the book as I wrote it and to the feelings I felt as I prepared for my son to be born, as I reckoned with the spirit of my daughter. So I was grateful for it, even though, yes, it was extremely draining. I don't know that I'm excited for anyone to hear anything in particular or specific, because excited seems like an odd word. But I am proud of the fact that I was able to read this book clearly and slowly and with a measured tone. When I tried to read this material to friends and family, it was very fraught and charged because it is so close to my own life and it is such an intimate book. Every time someone I know reads it, I freeze a little bit like they've caught me, and I'm kind of still grappling with what it means to have put all of these secrets of mine into a book that I'm then projecting out into the universe, into the world. But as a result, I wasn't sure how much distance I could keep from it, and reading it was a nice exercise in learning that I could just recite it, really, and let the story tell itself. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is definitely the subway. It's my favorite place to listen to everything. I think it's just a natural in-between space where you quite mercifully can't access the internet, at least most of the stations, and so you are given some focused time to listen to something or read something, and audiobooks are perfect for that space for me. Hi, this is John Von Soten, author of Monsieur Mediocre. One American learns the high art of being everyday French. Anytime I tell people I live in Paris, the first reaction has always been, wow, you live in Paris. And anytime you complain or tell people it's not as magical as they think, they don't want to hear it. Oh, come on, you live in Paris, stop. And for me, not being able to complain is kind of like a small part of hell. This book was inspired by that feeling of frustration, of me wanting to tell my story of living every day in a place people dream of visiting or living and letting them know that, eh, It's not always so great. And it's not to say that everything's negative. It's not. There's a lot of things I love about Paris, and I wanted to bring that out in a book. But until now, I always felt that there were tons of books written about France that always kind of portrayed it as this charming type of dollhouse where things were elegant and refined and wasn't really human. And I think if you peel back that cliched layer, there's a lot to fall in love with Paris that people usually don't really know. I wanted to write a book about living there every day and what everyday life means when you're living in Paris. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be grueling. Because grueling is kind of a word I associate with having committed to something, but then you can't go backwards. You know, being in a World War I battle and not being able to retreat, or climbing Mount Everest and not realizing you have to go back down afterwards. Yet again, there's something very magical when you finally record your book that you've written. It's like the book has become alive, in a way. And when you hear the words come back through your ears, it's like it's grown as a child, in a way, and it's kind of standing in front of you, and it's taken on a life all its own. And there's almost like a postpartum kind of like sadness to it, because you've created something that's going to leave you now. And it started in your head, and, and it came through your heart, And now it's for everyone. It's a beautiful kind of experience, almost like birth.
but painful also, just like birth. I realized I had trouble pronouncing grasped. The past participle of grasp. I couldn't get it. Grasped and tasked. All of these S verbs with ED tacked on. Peculiar is okay, but then the adverb peculiar, peculiarly, I really had trouble getting. I think we had to scrap it for something else. I think I'm most proud of all the French phrases and words and dialogue I pulled off, which I guess means I speak French better than I thought I did. The cool thing is, I think you not only learn a lot of stuff about modern France in this book, but you pick up some of the latest slang along the way, which will impress somebody French you meet in the future. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Boris Karloff, I think. When I was a kid, he had narrated a small film called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And when I was a kid, I loved that so much, the way Boris Karloff did it. It always stuck with me. And then when I had kids, the narrator that I most liked was Werner Herzog, the famous German director who recorded a great children's story called Go the Fuck to Sleep, which (laughs) we played a lot for Bibi and Otto when they were little. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was actually Storyteller, How to Be an Audiobook Narrator, written or directed by the great Ali Mirden. It really did prepare me for these four days that I've recorded this book. It gives you great tips on how to get into the industry and once you do get into the industry, how to stay there. And it not only kind of prepares you physically and mentally for the thing, it gives you appreciation for the work and the art that goes behind these things. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is the train, actually. I don't know why. I think audiobooks and driving are hard because you're always kind of trying to focus on the road and you can't really kind of like place yourself fully into the book because you don't want to crash. But on the train, I don't know, there's some sort of forward movement that's going on. The passing scenery kind of adds to whatever's going on with the text being narrated. And it kind of creates this kind of little zone, a cinematic scope of a book that, you know, you don't really have maybe if you're just kind of sitting at home. I don't know. It helps me write taking the train and also helps me listening to the audiobooks. It helps me imagine the world that I'm listening to better. Hi, this is Reagan Moyer-Jones, and I'm in the Penguin Random House Recording Studios, where I just finished recording my book, What It Takes, How I Built a $100 Million Business Against the Odds. I wrote What It Takes because I wanted people to realise that if I could do this, they could do it too. I'm hoping very much that the book motivates a lot of would-be entrepreneurs to take their leap. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be fun. And it was made fun by the fabulous people that I worked with on it, Scott and Kat. So there were definitely a few words that I struggled with as I was reading the book, but I think the most ridiculous one was that I seemed to struggle with saying CEO. When I had to enunciate that, I struggled with it. And it's ridiculous given I was a CEO. I'm excited that I was able to do this despite just getting off a 24-hour flight from Australia. So that took a whole lot of effort to actually come in and read my book for the last few days. 
but I'm most excited about women hearing this story in my true authentic voice and, as I said, hopefully being motivated to go out and create their own way forward. If I wasn't going to record my audio book, I would probably ask Tina Fey if she would do it for me because I love her. She's funny and smart and someone I'd like to be. Full disclosure, I haven't actually listened to a lot of audiobooks, but now that I've actually recorded one myself, I'm motivated to go out there and start downloading my favourite books and authors. It's definitely going to be a much easier task to actually listen to the books that I love than have to find the time to sit quietly and read them. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com backslash next listen.